And it's uh, six minutes after four. Yeah, we are back at it once again. The Employment Law Show is back on the air. We are live. We are ready for your phone calls. This is a live call-in show, as you know, 604 604- 280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell. You want to reach out. Otherwise, you just heard the number and I'll give you an email address to use. We will, uh, we will endeavor to get some emails, uh, this afternoon. You might not be able to with all the content and phone calls that we get to here every week. But regardless, it is help at employmentlawyer.ca and reach Lior and the team. Uh, if you're bashful or when we're not on the air here, 604-283-3123 is the way to go. We will get to something called the Pocket Employment Lawyer. This is an amazing website. You'll want to check this out, if only for interest's sake, but you'll probably eventually want to keep it and use it because there's a ton of information on that. We'll get to that, everything you need to know about medical leaves. And if we have time between the phone calls, we might... Uh, venture on down to dependent contractors but a lot of stuff to get through over this hour Lior what uh, the week that was what do you got going there pal hey Johnny certainly a lot to talk about but we always mm-hmm. have a lot to talk about because we, there's a lot to discuss when it comes to your workplace rights there's a lot of rights that you have there's a lot of situations you may find yourself in uh, where you need answers you need solutions you need to know what your rights are and you may be sitting there wondering right now about something that came up on your job and you want to know what your rights are well no no need to wonder no need to uh, try to go to uh, Google University as John says <sighs> call us right now on this show uh, call us with your questions and I'll answer them I'll tell you what to do and that's what we do on this show every year every week and we've been doing this for years and years and years and we'll continue doing it and of course if you want to talk to me as John said no problem not, if you don't want to get on air you just want to have a private discussion by all means Give me a call. Let's talk about it, and I promise I'll make you feel better and inform you about your legal rights. But week there was, John, a couple situations that came across my desk very recently. Uh, I think there's some important lessons there for everyone listening. So the first one I'll tell you, uh, this one really you know, made me feel terrible for the, for the gentleman that called me. He had worked for five years as a superintendent uh, at, a, at a building, and he's an older gentleman, uh, was working there, was working really hard, as, as often these superintendents do. Uh, as part of his compensation, he also got to live in the building right. rent-free. Mm-hmm. So, you know, superintendents often get little compensation, but they get to live in the building, so kind of offsets that, so, so ultimately that's part of their compensation. Well, with no notice, one day uh, the, the property manager calls him in and says, unfortunately, we're letting you go. Uh, here's your uh, your pay for six weeks pay, and we need you to clear the apartment in two weeks. Uh, obviously, that's a huge shock to this individual. Not only is he out of a job, he's out of a place to live with two weeks notice, yeah. uh, extremely concerned, and he called me, of course, uh, and uh, he wanted to know what his rights were. At, obviously, he's concerned about being left on the street. Well, luckily, he called me quickly. He called me right after this happened, and here's why. First of all, let's start with the idea that after five years as a superintendent, as I said, he's an older guy as well, uh, six weeks' pay is nowhere near appropriate. He was owed north of six months' pay, okay? Forget about six weeks, six months' pay. So right off the bat, he's going to be owed much more compensation, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get that for him. And that's a very common situation. Our regular listeners know about that. People are let go and often are offered a lot less than what they're owed. But here's the other thing. Our regular listeners also know that when it comes to your compensation when you lost your job, you should be getting all components of compensation. Well, for him, a component of compensation is the apartment. So guess what? His employer has to either allow him to continue to live in that apartment for six months 
or pay him an amount that allows him to rent an apartment somewhere else for the period of six months. So I'm going to get involved right now, and hopefully they'll simply allow him to live there longer. But either way, they'll have to give him enough compensation to allow him to rent an apartment somewhere else. So this is not the first time I've dealt with this situation with superintendents before. Remember, if you're a superintendent, your apartment, the place you live, is part of your compensation, which means it's going to be part of your severance. But for everyone else, you may not be a superintendent, but you will have certain components to your compensation. Maybe it's a car allowance, a bonus, uh, maybe it's pension, uh, maybe it's stock options. All those things and more have to be included when it comes to your severance package. All those things. So your employer's not going to forget about your salary. But what about all those other components? That could be a lot of money that you're legally owed. So, so important to get that advice when you lose your job because not, it's not just about for how long you're going to get paid. It's also about what's included in it. And hopefully, John, next time uh, uh, I'll be on the air, I can provide an update that this person now has a place to stay. Uh, I really want to help them out. Yeah, looking forward to uh, to that update for sure. By the way, 604-280-9898. If you have a question about that, you're scratching your head or anything else tonight, feel free. Don't be bashful. It's a live call-in show. Um, bonus is the one that you probably slipped in there. People go, wait a minute. Where, if I just got let go, why why would I get a bonus? It's not bonus time yet. <laughs> exactly. It, it, it's not. But huh? here's the thing. Uh, a, a bonus is part of compensation. So if you make uh, a year, I don't know, $10,000 bonus, well, uh, at least a prorated portion of that has to be paid you as part of your severance. So I'll give you an example. Let's say you were let go, you know, now we're in November. Sure. And let's say you, you on average, you make $10,000 a year in bonus. Well, you should be getting your bonus earned this year in 2019. So let's say, let's say that's, I don't know, uh, 11 months out of 12. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, 11 twelfths of your $10,000 bonus. But you're also owed bonus, bonus over the severance period. Let's say you're owed a nine-month severance period. So again, nine-tenths of that bonus you, you have to be getting. So right. uh, when it comes to your compensation, bonus does have to be included. And oftentimes, John, your employer won't include it. They don't think that they need to. They don't realize they have to. Uh, and for many people, that bonus could be worth tens of thousands of dollars. It is help at employmentlawyer.ca through email for this show and uh, any show going forward. The phone call to uh, to call in and ask a question here over the next hour, 604-280-9898. Anything about your employment, your severance, bring it on. That's why we're here uh, every week. What else you got going on? So oftentimes, John, I get people that call me with uh, questions that obviously are very important to them, but they don't realize that there's an actually bigger issue that they should be concerned yeah. about. And this particular situation is a very good example of this. So uh, I spoke with a, a gentleman who had uh, decided to leave his, his employment. He actually was going back to school. Okay. So he decided to give his employment, he decided to be a good guy and give his employment o- employer almost three months' notice of this happening. But 12 weeks' notice uh, he gave to his employer. Uh, he thought, you know, I'm going to give him enough time to find someone else. I'll even train someone. Well, to his surprise, uh, later the same day, called into a meeting and saying, Thanks uh, for all your work, but if, because you've given us notice, we need you to, to leave today. So please pack up your stuff and, 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 and leave. Right. Well, a few days later, he calls me because he's concerned that the company has not paid him his accrued vacation pay. And uh, you know they, they owed me about uh, five days accrued vacation. They haven't paid it. I followed up with them. They're not uh, answering me. Uh, can you help me get that vacation pay? Am I, am I owed that vacation pay? Well... So I talked to him about vacation, but he told him he's owed it, and I can help him with that. But then I asked him a question. I said, well, you gave him 12 weeks' notice. You, they let you go the same day. 
did they pay you for those 12 weeks? <sighs> and we said, no, should they? And the answer is, yeah, yeah, they should, absolutely. So, and in fact, for him, because he gave 12 weeks notice, when they terminated him, that's the termination, which means he's owed severance. And for him, that meant the 12 weeks that he was going to work there. And remember, that's very common. If you give your employer notice of resignation, if you leave uh, your, employ- uh, your employment, you give notice, that's fine. If they want you gone the same day, they have to pay you. They have to pay you what, what's the, the greater of your severance or the period of time, sorry, the lesser of the severance okay. you owed or the period of time that you're going to work there. So if you gave them three weeks notice, they have to pay you for three weeks, etc. So for him, that meant they have to pay him for the three months, the 12 weeks that he gave them notice. So he, he thought he's really concerned about five days pay, vacation pay. And I understand, of course, if you're owed that, you want to get paid. But John, he was actually owed three months pay. So I get that often. People may not realize the extent of their legal entitlements. Well, that's why we're here. So if you have a question, you may not know. You may even have greater entitlements. So give me a call. You know, it's interesting, and that that you answered it, but that was the question I was about to ask. That you know, if someone you know, looked at what their uh, their entitlements would have been, say using pocket employment law, and said, "Hey, I, I'm I'm supposed to get three months severance, but I just gave five months notice. So which do I get? The three months if they let me go tomorrow, or the five months? But you're saying it's the lesser of the two. The lesser of, yeah. So, okay. So yeah. so in this case, if you're owed three months based on your legal entitlements, then you'd yep. get three months. Otherwise, you can imagine you tell your employer, "I'm giving you 17 years notice." <laughs> <laughs> and then your employer lets you go, oh, now you have to pay me for 17 years. Obviously, that's not the case, right? So it's the lesser of the notice you gave or your full termination entitlements. For right. him, that lesser of was the three months notice that he gave, and that's what I'm going to help him get beyond the, just the five days vacation pay that's owed to him. It is uh, 4.18. You have lots of time to call in, ask your questions about uh, anything about your employment, possibly calling for a friend or a family member. Don't be bashful here every week to do this and would love to talk to you. Information is the key to uh, getting some answers for sure. 604-280-9898 or star 9898. On your cell here to call us at the at the station. Want to talk about this too. I love this thing, the Pocket Employment Lawyer. How about that? <laughs> well, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. I, I decided, John, that the best way to describe this is is like it's a mini-me, okay? We've all seen Austin Powers. Austin Powers had his mini-me. Well, so do I, okay? And the mini-me is the pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. So I, you know, I'm the full-sized employment lawyer, but there's also pocketemploymentlawyer.ca that allows everyone to get answers to their questions on the spot through the magic of technology for free in seconds and anonymously. So it does a number of things. It helps you determine whether or not there's just cause for you to be terminated. It helps you determine whether the situation that you're facing uh, constitutes a constructive dismissal. It helps you determine if you're an employee or an independent contractor, if you've been the victim of a human rights violation or discrimination, and also if you were properly cut off by your disability insurer. It does all those things. You may not have an interest in all of them. You may only have an interest in one. Not a problem. Go to pocketemploymentlawyer.ca, pick the area that interests you, answer a few questions, and get your answer on the spot. I said it's easy. I said it's anonymous. It's free. And if you want to, you can contact me directly from pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. You already have a lawyer. It's right there in your pocket, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. Everything you need to know about medical leaves. I know this uh, particular topic in the office has been ramping up of late. I guess that's why I wanted to talk about it, right? 
Absolutely. It is a topic, John. I, I don't know if I can explain why, but in the many years that I've been practicing law, it seems like every year I deal more and more often with issue, issues right. th- surrounding medical leaves. You know, People are going off on medical leave and, and not being able to, to work for a while and understanding their rights and having problems with their employers. Uh, coming back, do I not come back? What does it mean? When can I come back? What information do I get to give my employer? We deal with that all the time, so we wanted to make sure that we can inform all our listeners about those important topics. And you can also call in, ask your questions about this topic or any other, really. It is 604-280-9898. We are live for the remainder of the hour, as you probably know. First one is the most obvious question. You know, lob this one over the plate at you, and that is, how long can someone be away from work for a medical reason? And and that is probably the first question that I always get. You know, I can't work. How long am I allowed to be off? So let's be very clear about this. You can be off work as long as you need to, so long as you have a doctor saying that you cannot work. And you heard me right, as long as you Mm -hmm. need to. That may mean a week, that may mean a month, that may mean a year, or even longer than a year. Okay, You can be off as long as you need to, as long as you actually can work, and as long as you have a doctor backing you up. It's not up to your employer to decide how long you're off. It's not up to anyone else to decide. That doesn't matter what the sick day policy is and what other policies your employer has. You can be off as long as you need to. You provide your employer with a doctor's note, and that is that. Your job is to get better and to get healthy. Don't worry about timelines. Don't worry about deadlines. Take as long as you need to to get better and get healthy. Again, that number, uh, 604, it is 280-989-998, rather to call in or star 9898 on your cell. As always, our callers have top priority. Mark, uh, good afternoon. How are you? Very well, thank you. What's your question, sir? Well, I'm coming from a different angle. I'm an employer. Right. Cool. And I am employed in the trades, so I've got my core group of guys that uh, when we're busy, the trades are busy, and... I'm, I'm hiring guys all the time, but I do have an employee that these new guys come in and finds out they're more skilled and more talented, but I have to lay them off first when I get slow and keep the dead weight around, and now he's developing a bad attitude. One day off every two weeks. Mm-hmm. So when I'm busy, I can't count on him. How do I get rid of a guy like that? So you need to do two things. Number one is whenever you hire someone, you need to have a proper employment agreement in place. And and I know that's not something that uh, a lot of people in the trades do, but you absolutely have to have that. And the reason you want to have that, because you can put in a term that allows you to let someone go with minimal amount of compensation and potentially no compensation. So the first thing you want to do always forever moving forward is always have a proper employment agreement you give me a call off here i'll hook you up with that because that's number one number two what would would be in that agreement that well a number of things but one of the things probably one of the most important things is something that addresses the person's termination entitlements especially if you're in the construction business you could potentially have a term that allows you to let someone go with no compensation with zero compensation Whereas if you don't have that language there and you want to let someone go, it's going to cost you potentially a significant amount of money. So you want to have that there. I'll draft it for you. I'll prepare that for you. The other thing is this. If you want to let someone go for for misconduct, we call that a termination for cause, you want to build up a bit of a case against them. So if someone's not showing up when they're supposed to, you want to send them a note saying, "You, you weren't in on time on Monday. I expect you to be in on time. If you don't, then there's going to be further discipline. And if they don't show up a second time, you give them a final warning, 
and then you're going to be in a position to terminate them for cause. So rather than say, hey, this guy has not been doing a good job, if you've never said anything to them, if you never give them any warning in writing, it's going to be harder to let them go for cause. So you why, want to build why, up a case and manage them. Why would that be difficult when somebody who you hire to work, isn't it a Expected that he's going to show up to work, and if he doesn't show up from periodic time, now I got to document it, give him a warning. Uh, isn't that part of his responsibility as an employee? It is absolutely part of responsibility. Well, uh, his why responsibility because it costs me money to do this. Well, the the reason for that is the fact that it's part of responsibility means if he doesn't do it, he, he can be disciplined for it. But it doesn't necessarily mean that if he does it one time, you can just fire him for cause. Look at a termination for cause. Just, just hear me out. Just hear me out. Look at a termination for cause as the capital punishment, right? So just because someone is, quote, unquote, a criminal, did something wrong, doesn't mean that we, we put him to death, right? It means that there's other punishments. Uh, we, we provide them. And it's only for the worst offenders that we give him the worst punishment. So it's a question of when is someone the worst offender, uh, offender? And we get to that by building a case against them. But again, potentially you may even be able to avoid that with a proper employment agreement. Uh, so never hi- never hire anyone without a proper employment agreement. Okay. Okay, here's my just my little second question. When sure. I do when I do hire somebody who's a super talented guy and I don't want to lose him because he makes me more money, he shows up on time, he wants to learn the latest technology. How do I keep him over a guy that basically is tired of working and doesn't want to learn the latest stuff and basically says, look, I've been here longer, good enough for me. How do I keep that energetic, skilled guy? Why would would I let him go? So are you talking about a union environment? No, I'm talking about, I'm so if, it, so, so if it's not union, you can do whatever you want. You don't have to let someone go based on seniority. You can let go whoever you want, anytime you want. It's, you may owe someone severance depending on the situation, but you can let someone go whenever you want. The only time you're, you're constrained by seniority is if there's a union. So, so Mark, you, can, you don't have to just let go of one guy over the other. You can decide who you want to keep, and if someone's not doing a good job, you can let them go. You may have to pay them, but you can let them go. Glad I phoned in. Thank you very much. Mark, appreciate the call because uh, some good points you brought up there. And moving forward, you want to get a hold of the or which you probably would want to moving forward as far as uh, you know any agreements or any uh, drafts of works is concerned. 604-283-3123 and help at employmentlawyer.ca. Going to move on to uh, to Kay. we got time to, uh, for Kay before we take a short break. Hi, Kay. How are you? Oh, good afternoon, gentlemen. Good Another afternoon. interesting show. <laughs> ah, thank you very much. What's uh, what's going on with you? Well, first of all, I, the the advice you gave to that previous caller that was that was really good because I'm an employer as well. Great. Uh, with issues from the employer side, uh, my question is: if uh, an employee decides to take medical leave, however, they're still on probation. Yeah, so what's Can the they take a leave? Yeah. So an employee wants to take a, a leave for medical reasons, however, they're still on probation. What is the responsibility of mm-hmm. my company for great that employee? Call. Yeah. It's, a, it's a very good question. And, and you know, 
because they're on probation or the fact that they're on probation doesn't cha- change the fact that, you know, if they can't work, they can't work. What I don't want you to do is say, well, say, well, you're on probation, so we're just going to let you go anyway. And the reason you don't want to do that is because it looks like you're letting them go because he took a medical leave and that could be a human rights violation. So what do you do? As difficult as this may be, you simply assess uh, the situation when the person is ready to come back to work. If there's a position available, then you take them back and you continue the probation from that period of time. So if they went off you know, six weeks before their uh, probation ended, then it resumes when they come back and then you have another six weeks to assess their performance. Uh, if there's legitimately no position available for them, uh, you've looked, but they've been a while, away for a while, you had to hire someone else in the meantime, then you, you can terminate their employment. They may be owed something at that point, depending on how long they work for you and what the employment agreement says. But the fact that they're on probation doesn't change the fact that they can still be on a medical leave as long as they need to. Well, if you're just going to sit back and uh, listen and enjoy the last half hour of the show, you might as well wander over to pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. It's a wonderful resource for everything to do with your workplace and your work life as well. So check that out as we continue our our chat here about uh, everything you need to know about medical leaves in between your phone calls. And uh, this one... I know this one comes up all the time at the uh, at the office. You get this from employers too. Now, does an employer have the right the right to ask an employee for a their medical information and b a diagnosis? That happens often. For some reason, over the last month, I've had at least three or four matters where I was dealing with these issues about the employer's right and the extent of that right. So let's be very clear and let's set the record straight in terms of what the employer can ask for. Mm-hmm. Well, let's start with what the employer cannot ask for. And the employer cannot ask for the employee's diagnosis. The employer does not have a right to ask what is the medical condition. What's, what are you suffering from? They're also not allowed to ask for specifics about treatment. Are you uh, getting um, this type of medication? Are you going through physiotherapy? Uh, and I have recently saw, seen a matter where the employer sent a form to the employee to be completed by the employee's doctor where the employer is asking for it. What's the medical condition? What's the uh, diagnosis? Uh, What kind of a treatment? Is he following the treatment plan? None of that is appropriate. That's personal information and it's not information the employer is allowed to ask for. So that means the employee can absolutely say, sorry, I'm not going to give you that information. What the employer is allowed to ask for is what we call prognosis. In other words, can the employee work? Can they not work? For how long do you expect them not to be able to work? What limitations do they have? For how long do you expect the limitations to last? Those types of questions are legitimate because the employer should be concerned with the employee's ability to work. Whether the employee suffers from a herniated disc or from depression or from uh, arthritis, ultimately it doesn't matter. What matters is whether or not the employee can work. Now, your insurance company, if you're uh, covered by a disability insurance company, the insurance company is allowed to ask those types of questions. They're allowed to ask and get information from your doctor about your medical condition and your diagnosis, but your employer is not. If your employer asks for that, asks for that information, tell them, no, I'm not going to provide that to you. Here's information about how long I'm going to be off. Here's information that confirms that I cannot work right now, and that is it. Anything beyond that, John, is inappropriate. 
you have questions about this or anything else we talk about on the show, now's the time to uh, to bring them on, 604-280-9898. What happens to an employee's job while they're on medical leave? I mean, do they have to regularly update their employer on their condition? Maybe not a big thing if you're off for a week or, or a month, but if you're off for three, four, five, six months or more, what uh, what happens? Yeah, and, and so an employee continues to be employed. They continue to be an employee while they're on a medical leave. They're simply an employee on a leave. So uh, the fact that you're on a leave, the fact that you've been gone for a while or are going to be gone for a while does not mean you're not an employee. That's not a resignation. That's not a termination or anything yeah. like that. You are still an employee. It is a very good idea. If you're going to be gone for an extended period of time, to be in touch with your employer so that the employer doesn't kind of forget about you and so that the employer doesn't assume that you're not interested to come back to work. So I always suggest yeah, every once in a while, you know, maybe every month. Uh, I think every month is not a bad idea. Every couple months even it works as well. Send a note to your employer, either tell them, yes, I'm still working on getting better. I'm still hoping to return. Uh, maybe even provide them an updated doctor's note that simply confirms that, you know, you've been examined. You still can't work, but you're working towards getting better. So make sure that you're, you're, you're staying front and center in your employer's mind so that they know you want to come back. What you don't want to have happen is be gone for a year and then say, hey, here I am. And your employer says, wait a second. We haven't heard from you in a year. We thought you're not coming back to work anymore. Not a good idea to do that. So stay in touch with your employer. But you, and by the way, when you're ready to come back to work, company has to make all efforts to bring you back. Again, you want to reach out anytime, VancouverEmploymentLawyers.ca, the number for the uh, the firm, 604-283-3123. Write that one down for the purpose of this show in the last uh, 40 minutes or, so, or 20 minutes or so. 604-280-9898, talking about disability leave. So what should somebody do if uh, they're not approved for disability coverage, LTD, or their claims cut off? So, And that happens often. M- many employees have a disability plan through work short-term, long-term disability, and the idea for that plan is if you are not earning income because you are off work, well, how are you going to make ends meet? Well, there's an insurance uh, plan for that, and the long-term disability plan will pay you money, will pay you benefits while you're off work until you're ready to come back to work. Mm -hmm. Well, I've seen and I've heard and I've spoken with dozens and dozens of people who either were not approved, the insurance company said, you're not disabled enough or got approved, but then the company or the insurance company cut them off too soon before they were actually ready to come back to work. Yeah. That happens often. None of that, neither of that is appropriate. If you're, you can't work and if your doctor agrees with you that you cannot work, that should be the end of the story. Oftentimes the insurance company pushes back and they hope that by them rejecting you, you'll just accept it and go away and, and, and kind of forget about it. And you know what, John? Most people do that. Most people don't realize that, no, that's inappropriate. They should and they have to allow you to continue being on benefits. So they forget about it. They walk away and they they think there's nothing that can be done. Well, no, no. Guess again. If your insurance company cuts you off or doesn't approve you despite the fact that you cannot work, give me a call. We have a whole team dealing just with these issues, dealing with insurance companies. We can either get the company to approve you and put you and continue paying you what they're supposed to or negotiate monetary compensation Either way, if your doctor says you can't work, you should be getting paid through your insurance plan. If you don't, if they refuse, if they give you a hard time, let me know. Give me a call, and we'll help you. And I know one of the one of the side effects of sometimes when that happens is when that insurance company say it's up to the two-year mark, they cut you off. Now the employer says, oh, okay, you've been cut off disability. Get back to work. 
That's not right. Yeah. Not at all. So think about it. You can't work. Uh, you're still getting treatment. Your doctor agrees you can't work. The insurance yep. company says, no, no, we think you should be going back to work. We're cutting you off. So you're just dealing with that thinking, oh, my God, how am I going to make ends meet? Then your mm-hmm. employer contacts you and says, we heard that the insurance company says you should be coming back to work. So you better come back to work on Monday or we'll just consider you to have resigned. Brutal. What a, what a brutal situation. Your insurance company cuts you off. Now your employer is going to say you don't have a job anymore. No, both of those things are wrong. Your employer doesn't cannot go by what your insurance company says. Your employer can only go by what your doctor says. So if you have a doctor that says you cannot work, that must be enough for your employer. Your employer can't say, well, we choose to believe the insurance company. No, we can deal with your insurance company and your employer has to allow you to stay off leave. If they don't, that could be a human rights violation. That could be a wrongful dismissal. They could owe you significant compensation. So that's very important to remember that. You have a right to be off as long as you need to, regardless of what's happening with the insurance plan, regardless of whether there is an insurance plan, your employer cannot give you deadlines, cannot threaten you, cannot arbitrarily decide when you should be coming back to work. That's for you and your doctor to decide. If your employer does anything like that, you want to reach out to me as soon as possible. That number, by the way, six zero four two eight three thirty one twenty three. Yeah, you still got plenty of time to uh, to call in here. Love having you on the air and ask your questions. That's what makes the show more uh, more robust every week. So yeah, use the time you still got six zero four two eight zero nine eight nine eight or star nine eight nine eight on your cell as we continue our chat about medical leave. So. Uh, you've come to the end of it. You're feeling better, doctor. Uh, you have the approval from your doc. And uh, now what does that employee do when they're ready to return to work from a medical leave? So good news. After all this time being off, finally you worked hard. Uh, you got the treatment. Now you're ready and, uh, and able to come back to work. Well, the first thing you do is you want to let your employer know. Give them the heads up. And in an ideal world, you want to give them a bit of uh, a lead up time to your return to work rather than say, hey, today's Friday. I'm, I'll, I'll be back on Monday. Given, especially if you've been off for a while, you want to make sure that they make arrangements for you to come back, that they, uh, or, you know, make sure that there's a position available and that they're ready to, to accept you back. So ideally, you give them a few weeks' notice uh, of your return to work. Uh, it probably is also a good idea to give them a doctor's note confirming that you're able to come back to work. Now, you may be able to come back to work, but you also may have some limitations. Uh, in some situations, you're not going to just be able to come back to work immediately uh, doing everything you were doing before. Maybe you need right. some accommodation. Remember, an employer is under a very strict duty to accommodate, whether it's modified hours or modified duties or perhaps uh, a gradual return to work. The employer has to make that happen. Remember, when you're ready to come back to work, the company must make all efforts to take you back to the same position. Uh, and they, if that exact same job is available, they have to give it to you. They absolutely do. Uh, if it's not available, they have to make efforts to see if there's a similar job that's available that they can put you in. If they've tried, if they've looked, and legitimately there's nothing despite their best efforts, at that point, they're allowed to terminate employment, but they would have to pay you your full severance. So the fact that there's no job for you, and you know that's not the company's fault, of course, uh, does not mean that they're allowed to end the relationship with you without paying you. They would absolutely have to pay you. But keep in mind, John, and I've seen this happen many times, employees ready to come back to work, company says, no, we're not going to take you back without right. looking, without trying, without making the effort to bring them back. If that's what happens, if the company doesn't really want you to come back to work, so they're not trying to find you a position, 
That's a human rights violation. That's illegal. Apart from it potentially being a wrongful dismissal, it's also illegal. It's a human rights violation. So remember, a company has to make efforts to bring you back. If you're concerned about that, if you're not sure they're trying, if, if they've let you go and now you're wondering what, what you're owed, give me a call. Happy to talk to you. So let's uh, look at this from both, I guess, the last question, the employee and the employer. The employer or the employees ready to come back to work. They've got the approval from the medical team. It's been a while, but they're ready to jump back on the horse. The employer doesn't necessarily not want them to come back, but while you've been gone, the person they've handled doing your job is an absolute rock star, best thing they've ever had, and they're like, oh, we don't want to lose this person to get this person back as much as we want to hire them back. So what does each party do? Yeah, so an employer is not required to fire someone uh, in order to allow you to, t- to come back to work. Then I require, oh. if they, if they replaced you in the meantime, because they need yes. to have someone do the job, right? They don't have to get rid of that person. Now, that's very different, for example, from a maternity leave. Mm-hmm. If you take a maternity leave, then yes, the company is required to clean house if it means bring you back to the same position. Not right. the same thing happens on a disability leave. They don't have to, uh, tell the other person, sorry, uh, dude, you're, you're out of here. They don't have to do that. What they have to do, if that position is not available because someone else is doing it, is make efforts to find a different role. And only once they've done that, if they cannot do that because there's no role, that's when they can terminate. So if there is not someone else, the company is expected to continue to run its business. They may have had to hire someone, especially if you've been gone for a long time. That's okay, unfortunately. That does not mean you're not coming back to work. It just may mean to either a similar role, uh, role or something a bit different, but the company still has to make efforts to try to bring you back. Does that similar role that they find for you have to be of commensurate uh, pay, salary? So if the company gives you a role that's very different, either in pay or in responsibilities, then the basic principles of constructive dismissal right. still apply. Gotcha. So if the company uh, says, well, we have a job for you, good news, but this job pays 20% less, well, you don't have to accept that job. You may be able to treat that demotion or the pay cut as a constructive dismissal and say, thank you, but no, I'm not going to accept that. If that's the only job you have for me, I'm going to treat that as a termination. We call this a constructive dismissal and leave with severance. So you do not have to accept a job that pays you less, that's a demotion, that has worse hours than the one you had before. If that's your option, you can treat that as a constructive dismissal. Still got some time for you to call in, uh, make that phone call if any of this or uh, something else about your job, uh, if you're a boss or otherwise has piqued your interest. It is uh, 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on cell. I want to try to uh, squeeze in a little bit of time about uh, dependent contractors because, you know, independent contractor, not an independent contractor. This is a, a topic that comes up with you and here on the uh, the station practically every week we do this show. So we talk about it all the time versus being independent contractors or employees. But there is a third category, isn't there? Absolutely. And let's start with the idea that most people that are supposedly independent contractors are mm-hmm. actually misclassified. They're not really independent contractors. Right. Most likely, they're employees in the eyes of the law. And people always say, well, wait a second. I signed a document that says I'm not, I'm not an employee. How can I be an employee? Well, you can't get rid of the law by signing a piece of document or a piece of paper. <sighs> you know, the law is the law. It's there to govern our, our relationships with the companies we work for. So if you're not working, uh, if you're working full-time hours or regular hours, you're probably an employee. But there's a different category. Somewhere in between an employee and an independent contractor, we have a category called a dependent contractor. A dependent contractor is someone that is not an employee, 
but does most of their work for one company. So they're dependent, financially dependent on one company. And what happens in that situation is if the person is a dependent contractor, not an independent contractor, if that person is let go, then they're going to be owed severance pretty much like an employee. So if you're in that in-between category, you're not an employee and you're not an independent contractor, you're in between, you're a dependent contractor, if you are let go, you could be owed substantial compensation based on your age, position, length of employment. If that happens, you know what to do, you call me. We'll slide in a quick uh, call here. We'll get back to dependent contractors with our last uh, couple minutes. Mike, how are you? What's your concern? Yeah, hi there. How are you guys? Good, pal. What's going on? Good, good. Hey, uh, just wondering, I'm on a disability right now myself, and I'm under my uh, insurance uh, from work, but I'm also part of a union. Does the same law in BC apply when, uh, like for a wrongful dismissal, or they don't, they changed your position when you need to come back? No, unfortunately, not the same thing applies when you're part of a union. When you're part of a union, you can. You, it, it really is all based on seniority, right? So uh, you continue to accrue seniority. And, and your company has to account for that, and they may have to make work for you or, or, or make space for you when you're ready to come back to work. So you, you potentially could be in a better position if you're part of a union than if you're not part of a union. But you always ask that question to your union. Depending on the terms of your specific collective agreement, uh, your union can always tell you what your rights are. Where it is similar between a, a union and non-union employee is if you're cut off your disability plan. Even in those situations, potentially we can help you kind of fight back against the insurance company. So the insurance company still should be going based on what your doctor says. But in terms of returning to work, generally speaking, as long as you have seniority, uh, you can displace someone that has less seniority than you. Okay, yeah. So so if insurance does start pushing back that I should be going to work and my doctor is saying no, uh, then I can use you, say, and push back against the insurance company. Yes, yes, no, you can. In I'm most situations, we absolutely can, can deal with the insurance company and either kind of get them off your back, or if they do cut you off, get you the compensation that you're owed. Mike, appreciate that phone call. Uh, Lior's number, by the way, when the show is done, 604-283-3123. Last couple minutes here, continue our talk about dependent contractors. Um, give us an example of someone who may be a dependent contractor. So, for example, you may have, and I had someone recently that was uh, in a sales role, and, and he sold uh, sports equipment for uh, three companies. But one company, he did probably 75% of, of the work for it, and the other two companies, the other 25% of this time. He had been doing that for a, for a long time, uh, but he was not a, an employee, and he made his own hours, and you know he didn't right. have an office, and like I said, he worked for other companies as well. Well, he was let go after a number of years of working from that big company, the one he was doing 75% of his work for, but he was a dependent contractor. He was financially dependent. 75% of his income came from that company. Well, what, that, what does that mean? That means that they now have to pay him severance. He had been there for about seven years. They owed him about nine months pay, and we resolved it fairly quickly. Now, if he was truly an independent contractor, they wouldn't have owed him anything or very, very little. But because he was a, a, a someone that was not an employee, right, but he also was not an independent contractor, he was the, in that in-between category, uh, category, a dependent contractor. Because of that, John, he still was owed severance. You mentioned nine months is what he got now. Would that be on par? In other words, would a dependent contractor and an in, We know an independent contractor doesn't get severance, but does a right. dependent contractor and the employee, would that nine months be the same, or is it less just because you're a dependent contractor? 
it is pretty much the same. In some situations, wow. it could be slightly less, but for most cases, nine out of ten, it will be exactly the same. So yes, it's significant. And by the way, you can go to pocketemploymentlawyer.ca to find out how much you're owed, and it would work for you as an employee. It would also work for you as a dependent contractor. Last question I'm going to ask you with a minute to go. So how common is it for people to be called independent contractors when guess what? They're really dependent contractors. I have never seen ever in 17 years a dependent contractor that was called a dependent contractor. <sighs> Virtually every time you have a dependent contractor, they're, mi they're misclassified as an independent contractor. Every right. time. No exception. So if you're really dependent financially on one company, you do either all or most of your work for one company, you are a dependent contractor. Regardless of what you said in the, in the past, regardless of what you were told, regardless of what you may have signed or what you've believed for all these years. And that is really important or it really comes into effect if and when you're let go because then, John, you get severance. Good for another week, my friend. We'll leave it there to reach out. Uh, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. Use that. Go to help at employmentlawyer.ca. And the phone call, 604-283-3123. We'll catch you next afternoon or Sunday afternoon anyway, right here in the Employment Law Show on CKNW.